This morning the title is Courage and Ambition, Part 1. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. So the title, Courage and Ambition, (laughs) Part 1. Before we begin, um, let me just say, I just like to every so often say that it is really a blessing to me to be able to do this every week for you guys. Um, There's a tremendous spiritual blessing to being forced to prepare teachings every week because it causes me to learn more and it gets me definitely in the Word more. And um, I just, when I think about it, I'm often just really blessed and encouraged that you all decided to come here and listen to me talk and uh, hang out with us and have fellowship with us. It's really a blessing. So I'm grateful for all of you. I'm glad you're here. Something else that's on my heart today to share for those of you here and for everybody that's listening online too is that um, the Word of God is meant to change us. Um, so we're going through Second Corinthians, for example, and like I said before, this is one of Paul's more personal letters. And so we're learning a lot about Paul and about his story. And uh, so we're focusing a lot on Paul, but it's not meant to be an autobiography where we're just learning about Paul and we're just learning about what it was like for this church back then. As we read these things, we're supposed to also be, we're learning it, interpreting it, and also applying it so that we're changed by it. It's a very important part about this. Um, So for example, 2 Timothy 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All Scripture, including 2 Corinthians, including the more biographical sections, it's all inspired by God and it's all profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training. But you might think, well, but is this Scripture? Because when Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, was he saying that with this letter in mind, or did he just mean the Old Testament books? Because back then, these letters were being circulated in the churches, but were those Scripture, or was just the Old Testament Scripture? And Paul does mean these letters. Just so you know, the apostles, when they wrote these letters, they did begin to call them Scripture. So just for example, Colossians 4.16, Paul says this to the church it says, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And so you can see that Paul actually instructed the churches to circulate his letters around. Even though he was writing to address specific things to them, he wanted all the churches to read it because he knew all the churches could benefit and could apply those same truths. And Peter when referring to Paul's writings, calls them Scripture. In 2 Peter 3, verse 15, he said, Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. There's Peter saying, Paul's writing is hard to understand. He says, which is the untaught, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter's saying people are 
are twisting Paul's letters just like they do the rest of Scripture, meaning this is Scripture too. So when Paul writes, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training, he also means this letter, not just the Gospels or not just the Old Testament, but including this book. So I just want to remember that because as we go through this book and we're looking at Paul and we're looking at the history of this church and kind of what God's doing there, let's not forget that it's meant not just as a learning exercise for us, but as a way to grow in Christ and to be changed by it. So let's begin now with prayer, and then we'll just kind of go through a few verses together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage today. I pray that you would miraculously remove distraction this morning, that we could hear your words and we could learn from you. For those listening online, whatever else they're doing at the moment, whatever things are going on, I pray that you'd allow them to concentrate and to be, as, to be having a heart to learn from you. And for those that are here, that we wouldn't be distracted, but we'd be focused because there are things here that I think you want us to know and to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're only covering a couple of verses today. And again, the title was... Um, um, Courage and Ambition, Part 1. Today we're talking about courage. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So be of good courage, or it says good cheer. Remember, in this context, Paul is talking about suffering and persecution and hard times, hard life, hashtag apostle life. And he says, in these times, we're always of good courage. We're always of good cheer. He has good courage. He's of courage. Why? Because he knows that what some might consider to be the worst case scenario actually turns out to be the best case scenario for the Christian. Like when you're talking about life and like, what's the worst that could happen? And you list out these things, right? Oh, this and then that, then this. What's the absolute worst? Well, I could be, I could be tortured and then what? Well, I could die. I guess, I guess dying would be the worst case scenario. But what Paul's saying is that what the world considers the worst case scenario actually turns out to be the best case scenario for the believer because once we leave this place, we are going on to a better place. And then he says, while we are at home in the body, while this is our home, as long as we remain here on earth living in this physical body, we are absent from the Lord. It says in verse 6. Well, in what way are we absent from the Lord while here on earth? Because we talk about being in the presence of the Lord. We talk about knowing God, having a relationship with Him. What does it mean to be absent from the Lord while present in this body? Well, I want to talk about three aspects of God's presence. First, His omniscience. Second, our awareness of His presence. And third, our experience 
of his presence. So three aspects of God's presence that I want to talk about. So the first one, omniscience. Do you all know what that means? To be omnipresent. No, omniscience is all-knowing, isn't it? I mean omnipresence. I'm sorry, I get those confused. Omnipresence. God is everywhere at once. That's the biblical teaching of omnipresence. In this aspect of God's presence, no one in the world is absent from that, right? Because there's nowhere that God isn't. In Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 through 10, the writer writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. So if I go into the woods, he's there. If I go into the bathroom, he's there. If I go to bed, he's there. If I go to work, he's there. He's everywhere. So no one is, is outside of his presence. The entire world cannot escape his presence in that sense. So we're not absent from that aspect of his presence because he is omnipresent everywhere. So that's not what Paul means. Number two, our awareness of his presence So even though no one can be absent from his general presence, omnipresence, the world can be absent from the awareness of his presence. The world, for example, might be always in the presence of God because God is everywhere, but they might not know that he's everywhere. We, as followers of God, though, we begin to see all things different when we follow God. We begin to see all things through the lens of the sovereign God who's ordained all things, holds all things together, and is intimately involved in our lives. We can know, because we are aware of God's presence in some sense, we can know that God is in control. We can pray and we can believe that God can answer prayer and change circumstances. We're more intimately aware of God's presence and workings in our lives and the lives of those around us. So the world is absent from this aspect of God's presence, the awareness of it. But we are not, as believers, we're not absent from this aspect, right? As believers, we are aware of His presence. We are aware when we worship God and we pray to God, we know that He's with us. The reason why we pray, we believe God can intervene. We believe God is leading us. The third aspect I wanted to talk about is our experience of God's presence. So beyond just the knowledge of that fact that God is there and that God helps us and does things, um, there's also the more intimate experience of actually being in God's presence. And it's more than an awareness It's an actual experience that leaves an impression on us. So, for example, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, when Peter is preaching, he says to these people, Therefore, repent and return, so your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So there is a a refreshing 
that happens in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 2 Corinthians 3.18, which we looked at a few weeks ago, says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So there's an actual experience happening in the presence of the Lord. This is something that the world cannot experience. But we can, because of the grace given us, because we've been forgiven, we have access to the presence of God that's not available to those that are still in their sin. So we have these three aspects of God's presence. His omnipresence, which is everywhere all the time, our awareness of it, which the world doesn't have, but we do have, the experience of it, which the world can't have, but we get to have. So in what way, then, are we absent from God's presence when we're present in our bodies? And I would say the answer is, it's in the fullness of the second two of those. Even though we are aware of God's presence, we aren't all the time, and we're growing in that. And even though we can experience God's presence, we're growing in that, and we aren't always experiencing God's presence, and we don't always even want to. We're distracted. We have conflicting desires at times. So in terms of awareness, we have been spiritually awakened in some sense, as believers. We have an understanding of what God's done for us and who He is and His omnipresence and how He works in our lives. We know that He's sovereign in all things. He's got all things under control. But we don't always know exactly what God's doing. We don't always know exactly what God's timing is. We don't always know why God is doing something. And so we pray and we fast and we seek because we're desiring to have a greater awareness of these things. And this is something that we are growing in and we have not yet perfected. We've got ups and downs and good days and bad days, and there are times when we need reminding that God is even there. There are times that we forget and we go about our day just doing our thing, and we forget about God's presence, even as believers. But we're working on it. That's why 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve we now see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. So mirrors in those days were often formed from imperfect metals, imperfect metal surfaces. And so you could kind of see through them, but it wasn't like these crystal clear mirrors we have now that show perfect reflection of who you are. They were dim. They were kind of hard to see through. You could maybe squint and move your face around and kind of get an idea about how is there food stuck in your teeth. You know, you could kind of look, but it was harder than now. And so when Paul says we see now like in a mirror, he doesn't mean like our mirrors where we see the same thing. Just in a, You say, no, we see dimly, but then we'll see face to face. When we're resurrected, we're going to know more fully as we are fully known. So while we're in our body, we are absent from this kind of full awareness of the presence of God. We have it partially now and more later. But in terms of experience, even though we benefit from experiencing the presence of God now, times of refreshing, fullness of joy, there's an aspect in which we're limited because we're not yet resurrected. We are being transformed from glory to glory, 
but that indicates a progression, right? The fact that Paul says we are being transformed indicates that we haven't fully arrived yet. So we are experiencing God's presence, but it's a progressive thing. We are being transformed. So, and the Holy Spirit's helping us with this, and that's why he's called a pledge. We saw that a few weeks ago. So all the things we enjoy now about the presence of God are only a foreshadowing of how things will be when we're resurrected, when our old bodies of sin are swallowed up by life, which was 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4, and we're in the presence of God completely. And so Paul says, currently, verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Because when we're actually there with God in the fullness of His presence, then we will see and know and be aware in a more complete way than we experience now. So we can be aware of God's presence now, and we can experience God's presence now. But there are some of you that will be in a situation where there is God's presence there and available to you, and yet you are distracted and doing other things and not even noticing what's going on spiritually. And that's a struggle we have right now is like, it's up to you. You can be in God's presence and enjoy the transformation that happens from knowing God, or you can be a bystander to that. And that's because we're still in this physical realm with these bodies where we have these conflicting desires and conflicting thoughts. But once we're resurrected, we're going to have all the goodness of the presence of God in fullness. And so what Paul is saying here is that the closer we get to leaving this world, the closer we are to having God completely. And so in verse 8, Paul says, this is why we have confidence. Despite the fact that we're suffering and being persecuted, because the more the world actually can't take anything away from us. <clears throat> the more the world tries to take away from the believer, the more we're gaining. That's the funny thing about it. The more the world tries to hurt the Christian, take away their rights, take away their free speech, take away their money, take away their security, whatever it is, the more we gain because all of those things are getting us closer to the Lord. To be absent from the body and all of the pleasures and delights of the world is to be closer in the presence of God. Now with that thought, though, comes one more sobering thought. <clears throat> in verse 9, and this is just kind of like looking ahead because we're not going to go too far into this until next week. But in verse 9, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may, re- may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what has, he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your presence. So there are two connected thoughts for Paul. He says, therefore... In verse 9, which means what he's going to say is connected to what was said before that. So he's talking about taking courage because of this hope to come. Then he says, therefore, we have as our ambition, 
to be pleasing to Him in all things. Paul says, yes, I know that when I leave this body, I'll be present with the Lord, and that's awesome, but I don't want to come before the Lord empty-handed. They're connected thoughts. I can't wait to be with God, but I don't want to show up empty-handed. As if to say, I appreciate your salvation, O God, and I appreciate all the pleasures of being in your presence, but unfortunately, I was like that bad steward who took your whatever you gave me, and I hid it in the ground for your return, and I didn't produce anything with it. That's Matthew 25. We'll look at that more next week. Because specifically, it seems like what Paul's talking about, when Paul thinks about being pleasing to God, he's talking specifically about his witness. He says in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And as the rest of this chapter goes on, he's talking about kind of the gospel and and the message that he speaks. And so in in Paul's view, because of what we've been given from God, we can't wait to return to him, but we don't want to show up empty-handed. And to Paul, that means we better be sharing what we've got from God. What we've been given from God should be given out to others. And so we need to all, like, Yes, there's a a special spiritual gift of evangelism, but we are all to be sharing our faith in some way, shining our light. We are all these broken vessels, like Paul said, with the light shining out of every crack of us. We want to shine as much as possible to everybody we can so that we don't show up before God empty-handed. So the point for today, though, is these two ideas are linked. We have courage because of our eternal hope, And that should lead us to having a lifelong ambition of wanting to be pleasing to God so that when we come before the presence of God, we're not empty-handed. So, take courage this morning if you believe these things. Know that as you walk with God and you know God, that He's all around you, that He's with you, that He's leading you, protecting you, that He has plans for you. You can take courage in that. Know that you can be in His presence as a believer whenever you want to. You can close your eyes and begin to talk to God and you're immediately into His presence. And that can be an experience you have with God daily if you so choose. Know that the Holy Spirit is here to help you in that. Did you know that if you have no desire, like even if you believe these things are true, but you have no desire for them. Did you know you could ask God to help you with that? And he, I've done that. Have I told you guys this story? But I get away yearly to pray to God, and there's this one year where I said to God, I just don't have it. I don't desire to be close to you right now. I'm distracted with all these things that I want in my life, not to mention the fact that when you sent me to Germany and I came back, that was kind of hard. I don't know what you were doing there. So I'm kind of afraid that if I get close to you again, you're going to cause me to do all these weird things that are going to be hard and I don't really want to. And I, I told God, I don't want to be close to you right now. I'm just being honest. So if you want that to change, please help me with that. And he did. And I saw over the coming weeks and months that desire return, and I was reading my Bible more because I just I wanted to again, and I was going to church not because I had to, but because I wanted to again, and I was listening to the teaching and getting excited because I actually wanted to know these things. So if you're in a place where you don't have that desire, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. You can just ask God to help you with that, and He will, because you shouldn't believe these things 
and not know what it means to experience the presence of God. You shouldn't have a life like that. Life shouldn't be that way for you. That's not what God intended for you as a believer, to give you new life in the form of neat little truths that don't change your life. So take courage. Take courage not only in the future of being fully in God's presence, but in the partial presence we get to enjoy now. Like it says in 1 John 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he also is pure. So let's pray now, and as we sing a couple more songs, let's use this time to really seek God if you so choose. We can seek God in two different ways. We want to be aware of His presence, and we also want to be able to experience His presence. We want to be aware So you can ask God, help me to be aware of what you're doing in my life right now. Help me to be aware of what's going on. Give me wisdom for these questions I don't have answers to. Give me insight. I don't know what to do about that. Help my awareness, God. And then number two, we can pray, God, help me to experience your presence. I want to know the joy of sitting with you and singing songs and feeling like you're hearing me sing to you and that you're pleased by my song. I want to experience that. I want to experience being transformed by you when I worship you, when I sing to you. We can pray these things. So let's use this time as we pray, as we sing a couple of songs, just to kind of seek God's presence. And if you want to share, you can. If you want to ask for prayer, you can. If you want to read a Bible verse, you can. Whatever you want to do. And we'll close whenever it feels right.